He, fuck. <laughs> he visually fucking reeks. <laughs> you see his hair has always got this like halo of like tiny hairs. Like he just hasn't showered in forever. Like Ugh. he nasty. My friend Liz is like obsessed with Post Malone. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> also like I had, I had a Post Malone summer like a couple years ago. Did you ever get how I got with no. Channing Tatum no. for Post Malone? <laughs> no, dude. Ugh. Stop it. No, you got to a dangerous level. I know. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I am Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are entering into season two. We're entering in like it's fucking Narnia. <laughs> This is, we're at the door of the armoire, you guys. Yeah. Tomness is waiting. Here we go. Who? Tomness. The only time I ever watched the He's... Chronicles of Narnia was with you, and I don't remember details of it because we just hard made fun of it the whole time. You grew up Christian, though, right? Like me, so you probably read them. No. Um. I mean, yes to the growing up the way you did, but no to the reading. It was probably too magical for my parents' liking. Yeah. Tomness was the little pan creature that met him at the armoire outside. He's like the first one that he met. Oh. He was like, oh, hey, hmm. welcome to Narnia. This is like the lamp that I hang out next to. And <laughs> there's going to be some shit about Turkish delights. Don't eat them. Jesus is a lion. It was a Christian. I didn't, I didn't know it was even a Christian thing. Oh, yeah. Huh. Jesus is like the lion, the main guy, Aslan. I guess I don't know anything about the movie at all. Anyway, this is still just like it's Narnia. Book. The books, yeah. There's like a whole series of books. So that means that, what's his name? Tomas. Tomness. Tomness. Yeah. That's Kragen because they're basically like leading you through everything. Mm. No? Is Kragen the lion? I think so. The Jesus? We can't do this. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be too much. The Turkish delights are munch. Wait. <laughs> we can't do this. Tomness is probably munch. Is Tomness super annoying? Just, Does he know a lot of stuff? He knows a lot of stuff and he's like a little shifty kind of. Mm. Whatever. Okay. Go. All right, I'm trying. Give me a fucking second. Thanks for the tacos, by the way. You're welcome. Okay, so season two, episode one. Fuck, what's it called? Wrong is right. Wrong is right. So we open on a beach at sunset. There's some standard early 2000 boy band music playing and a bunch of white kids on the beach awkwardly like bob dancing with one another. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're just like swinging their arms back and forth, doing the running man, but like... You're, you're like, Mm-mm. but you're not but like your, your legs. Your feet are planted <laughs> and you're like, uh, 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 uh. yeah. Did you just do, oh, you're like, yeah, but the girls are wearing like cut off jean shorts and bikini tops and the boys are have like 90s terrible tattoos and and like butt cuts. Yeah. So Stabler's oldest daughter, Maureen, she's got a high pony, bikini top, cut off shorts and a frosted lip for days. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, she she was living the year 2000. I fucking hate her. What? <laughs> I just hate Maureen. I just do. She's dancing with a quote unquote surfer guy from Central Casting. He has a tattoo. Oh no, here comes Stabes. This is and the he's, best. He's never looked dorkier <laughs> or daddier. He was the it was the most dadly outfit I've ever seen. He's got on a Tommy Bahama shirt buttoned halfway up, but then he's like got like a gray man tank underneath. Yeah. Was cargo he wearing, shorts. Yeah. Cargo shorts. With a cell phone attached to the outside of one of the cargo pockets. 
pockets. He's a cop for crying out loud. Yeah. What do you expect? And I swear, I swear that he's wearing New Balances. I fucking swear. Was it with socks? Like uh, calf, socks. calf socks? Yep. I assumed that he was wearing flip-flops, but I did picture a sock tan line. Yeah. He rolls up and Maureen catches him and is like, oh God. And like quickly like covers up and like runs over to him. Yeah. She put on a really cute jacket. Yeah. It was like a little army jacket. Mm-hmm. I also hate her for her saying, he's like, you're not getting all Britney Spears on me, the guy. Mm. And she's like, Earth a kid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. First of all, I don't get what he means by that. And second of all, what does she mean by that? What is she, what, what part of the conversation did we miss that led to like that being an exchange? Earth a kid's not going to wear a frosted lip. So he's picking her up from the beach. She was not expecting yeah, her she's dad. expecting her mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can tell she just wants to get out of there with Staves before he embarrasses her. And he gives her the old school third degree about who this guy is. Yeah. His name is Ryan Witherspoon. I doubt that this guy has any kind of deep story storyline but there's never been a name that sounded more fake to me yeah it, yeah yes i love when they're walking away too and stabler kind of concedes that he doesn't have control of the situation and he looks over his shoulder at ryan and he says yeah i guess he's cute well at first he was like when did you get out of prison because of his armband tattoo and she's like actually he's pre-med and then he was like I guess he's kind of cute. Like he like. Yeah. Just because you got your wife pregnant with Marine when you were a teenager doesn't mean you have to lock down your daughter's vagina. Yeah. I felt like that was a lot of growth for Stabler though. Yeah. So then it's nighttime and they're still driving back. I don't know why. I don't know. It must have been like. No, it was. It was like dusk. Like the sun was was going down on the beach during their weird dance dance party. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's pretty dark. They're in the car. It's pretty dark now. And they just have this like father-daughter conversation. He's like, is that a tattoo? And she's like, you have tattoos. It's henna. And it's just like a very typical teen girl and dad yeah. conversation. You're such a cop. I know. I love that part. <laughs> You're such a cop. And I'm like, she's right. Yeah. This whole situation reminded me of like those undercover cops that go to high school that like, <laughs> you know, that like are obviously like 40, but they're like, hey, kids, where's the drugs? And you're this like, okay. whole, <laughs> that is so funny. This whole episode, I take note of like, okay, I'm just a high schooler. And I'm like, yeah. you're just turning 33. <laughs> like yeah. every single fucking kid every in this. Every teenager is like 40. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because I was doing that too. I was like. It's very 90210. <laughs> age group. So they're driving having this conversation. You can see flashing lights from cop cars Mm -hmm. up ahead. There's a fire. Stabler's like, puts on his cop hat. He pulls over, jumps out of his family vehicle, and tells Maureen to stay in the car. He grabs a fire extinguisher from the back of the car and runs off the shoulder of the road to the start of some beach sand. So they're still like driving along the coast, Mm -hmm. but they're like down the beach a little ways. And he yells out to let the other cops know that he's SVU and begins to extinguish the fire. Mm -hmm. The cops like hurry up there's somebody under there and then the cop is like kicking sand on the guy like he's in an old-timey silent film i'm gonna stand up and show you hang on (laughs) he's like (laughs) it's like kind of doing the charleston but kicking (laughs) up sand. it's like a little hop and like (laughs) i didn't even see that (laughs) it was bizarre and adorable and i laughed really hard at it Oh, so once the fire is completely out, Stabler goes to lift a bed sheet off of the person's face. It's a middle-aged white guy who looks super beat up. And then Stabler hears a gasp. He looks over his shoulder. Oh, no. Maureen got out of the fucking car. She's an idiot and didn't listen. I mean, hello. There's a fucking fire on the beach. Yeah. And there's a cop yelling, there's a person under there. Yeah. It's like, whatever. Uh, she did this to herself. Wow. Sorry. When you hate somebody, you really go for it. <laughs> listen to your father. <laughs> 
so she gets out and sees it. She starts bawling and he runs up and holds her. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, season two intro. We've got ourselves a Christopher Maloney. I didn't think it would transition this fast. Oh, I didn't even catch it. I did because I was like, I want to see if the intro is any different. Yeah. You know, like if it's going to include iced tea yet or whatever. Yeah. And then I saw boop, Christopher Maloney. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. They kept the molestation part. They sure did. <laughs> Now we're at the Morris Commission Court. Cragen's there in his like suit, and they're going over the psych reports from last season. Mm-hmm. At the end of season one, Dr. Audrey had sessions with all of the detectives, remember, and found at least one that needed to be released from duty immediately. Mm-hmm. But it turns out there are two that were concerning. So Cragen is there to... Figure s- out what the fuck's going on. Yeah, and, and it's, get shit it's, from the commission. Yeah. It's Jeffries and Stabler. They both need formal psych evaluations and formal explanations of um, what they had said. Which they fucked around with what they said, too. Yeah. And Cragen is confused because he, he was like, I thought this was like doctor patient confidentiality is like paramount. Mm-hmm. And I think he's worried about himself and how much he talked about like his drinking, his drinking stuff. and shit. Yeah. Well, they would have brought it up. Mm-hmm. It's on file now. Um, and they're like, ADA Cabot is going to adjudicate the cases. And then here's where we finally meet Alex Cabot. Right. And she's like a big part of the show for a, at least a while. Yeah. On and off. Yeah. Well, because what they do in the second season is like there's there's a different. What's the word? They, they've reformatted some yeah, things. Yeah, they're, they're like, we can't have all these different ADAs coming around yeah. because nobody knows what, so who they are. From the intro of ADA Alex Cabot, going forward, when they do switch ADAs, it's not like, hey, here's Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Hey, here's this guy that we never met and we have to assume that we know is the ADA or we find out later in the episode. Like, it's a much more clear cut. Yeah, like mm, they have one cast. ADA for at least a season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they fuck with. Craig, so, Craig is not happy. He's not. And yeah. so ADA Cabot's going to be coming in and making making like decisions about what's going to be done with the detectives and Craig and is like Mm-mm. we don't fucking know you yeah, they they walk out of the court together. Right, but let's introduce Alex Cabot the way she deserves. She is a tall blonde drink of water in a beige skirt suit. Yeah, all she wears is beige. <laughs> and it's working. It works for her. It yeah. does. Yeah, Cabot and Cragen walk out into the like court fucking house area and he's pushing back and kind of giving her shit and she's like super chill about it and kind of has like a little half smile on her face mm-hmm. and Cragen walks off and she's like, breakfast then. Like she- he doesn't want to give her the time of day, but like her pushiness was one it was warranted to get to where she needed to go. I just, uh, I just like respect her as a, a woman in that position. Mm-hmm. So she's like, see you tomorrow. Yeah, she's like not phased at all by like crabby mm-hmm. old white guy being crabby and white. Yeah. <laughs> So they're at the precinct. Uh, Craig and wants Jeffries in his office. He's pissed. When he popped out of his office and was like, Jeffries, my office. I was like, whoa, dad. Yeah. <laughs> dad, what did I do? So he's putting her on fucking desk duty. She is pissed. Mm. He's like, you need fucking time to come up with a formal explanation. And he was like, why did you tell them that you slept with a suspect? And she's like, I, I didn't say that. Like, they kind of twist it. That's how he's like, well, that's how they fucking see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then she yells, I'm not explaining my sex life to the Morris Commission. And then Craig and yells, that's enough. Yeah. You know, he's like, I don't like it either, but yelling at me isn't going to solve anything. She comes out of the office. Stabler walks into the squad room and he's still wearing the same outfit from the beach. Yeah. And then Munch says, Jimmy Buffett in town? Which I thought was funny. <laughs> I thought, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It was great because he comes in looking like a fucking parrot head for sure. Yeah. And Munch is like, <laughs> I got a good one for this. So Stabler's at his locker chugging some Pepto-Bismol. I don't know what that's about. Well, he has a stressful job. I was looking at his outfit the entire time. It was like... I watched it a few times and then I was like, by the time he's over at the desk after he left his locker, I'm like, is he fucking drinking milk? And so I had to rewind it. (laughs) Is there milk in his locker? (laughs) I had to rewind it and I'm like, oh, it's (laughs) Pepto-Bismol. 
yeah, so Stabler explains what happened the night before, and he's like, there was a fire and a crotch, and my daughter saw it, and I was just there on scene the whole the whole night. He, yeah, he goes, turns out to be a body, gunshot wound to the head, flames leaping off the crotch. And I'm like, SVU, season two is yeah. coming in fucking hot. I'm counting that as season two, missing dick number one. Yes, that counts. We got to get a little whiteboard. Yeah. Um, dick board. Dick board. <laughs> He also says that it was a dump job and that he had like a West Side apartment. Yeah. So Craig and calls Stabler into the office, like super angry. And Stabler's like, hey, I have to go to a thing. And he's like, no. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and he's chewing out Stabler and telling yeah. him that he has to do some shit because they're inquiring. Stabler's worried that his job is at risk. And Craigan's like, But yeah. then they they twisted what he said too. Craigan's like, why the fuck would you tell the shrink that you were fantasizing about killing suspects? They're like three inches from each other's face. And Stabes yeah. is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said perped. Yeah. Which is a huge distinction. There's a yeah. big fucking difference. Yeah. So it seems like to me with both Stabler and Jeffries, the commission is painting both of them with pretty broad strokes. Yeah. And also this is like the first time they're doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's like they might just be trying to make examples out of like or just they don't know what they're doing yet because they're cracking fucking down. I mean, Stabes is annoyed because what the commission says that they're doing is cleaning house, but they're coming after him for his private thoughts is like how he's taking it. Yeah. Which is true. I mean, they get into this. They get into, you know, is it a crazy, is it crazy to be like, I wish I could murder that fucking guy when you find a girl in a box under his bed? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. (gasps) Amsterdam Apartments. It is here where we are introduced to Olivia Benson's new haircut. Oh, yeah. The short hair. It's a look. I would describe it as a grown out pixie. This is the shortest her hair ever goes. Is it? Oh. It is. It's a little mullety in the back, but like on purpose. It's kind of like a cooler version of the Rachel. No, I disagree. Maybe I don't know what the Rachel is. You you can't. The Rachel is more because <laughs> she does she does eventually have at some point a, a Rachel adjacent look. It's very layery and kind of bobbish, like lobbish. But this is oh, more yeah. well a shorter version of the Rachel? Mm. A grown-up pixie cut. That's better. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. But it's a very big look for this time. Like, this time period that they're in. I'm picturing all of the different celebrities coming on the red carpets, but they've got, like, lace-trimmed, satiny mm-hmm. kind of looks. And then they have this short little do. It's very Yeah, that waft. was, like, when everybody was pretty much wearing, like, the silky kind of, like, lingerie as dresses. Yeah. And, like, butterfly clips and short hair. And, like, shirts. And, like, like, the silky. It's like a... It looks... Yeah, it looks like lingerie top, but then with like jeans. Yeah, and like a square toe shoe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's open toe, you know? Ew. Gross. Like me. (laughs) I was wearing that shit. Okay, so the victim is Andrew Croft. He's 42. And the dump vehicle may have been a Lexus. There's one registered to the apartment's address, but it's missing. Andrew had just moved there and he had a new job at Radio Velocity. Mm -hmm. So Munch goes, edge of the envelope, defense contractor. What does he do for them? It's basically they work with the military. It's a military tech job. Yeah. Um, He's single. He lived with his 16-ish year old son, Michael. And the neighbors said they argued a lot. And right away, I'm like, yeah, the kid's 16. Yeah. Like, who didn't argue with their parents a lot when they were 16? So they go into the bedroom, and it is, like, obviously a murder scene. Fucking blood everywhere. There's mirrors everywhere, too, which is gross. (laughs) Um, That bothered me. I was like, it looks like there's more blood than there is. (laughs) 
makes the room look bigger. Yeah. So the son is missing, but they do find some books from MacArthur High and they are barcoded. Mm-hmm. So Stabler's telling Benson about the psyche valve shit and she doesn't get why they're making a big deal out of Stabler saying he thought about killing child molesters. And she's like, they're all cops. Like they've all seen the shit that we've seen. Like I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And Stabler makes the point that they haven't been in the field for a long time. It's like, when's the last time these people have been in a room like this with blood everywhere? Yeah. There was a huge saturated area of blood on the bed on these like white bed sheets. Particularly the pillow. Yeah. Yeah. What I would see walking in myself being a blood spatter analyst is, oh, this person was shot in the head in bed. Yeah. That's what the first thing I thought too. Yeah. Because I'm Dexter. Same. Yeah. Wait, I'm a good person. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Right is wrong. Benson and Stabler go to MacArthur High. So Stabler's just going to wear his Miami Vice get up all day then, I guess. Yeah, whatever. Like, it's cool. They're talking to a school librarian, and they're like, does this book belong to Michael Croft? And she's like, this is Michael Gorin's book. He's absent today. Mm-hmm. You want to speak to his guidance counselor, Miss Scheider? And yeah. I'm like, I pray to God that this guidance counselor's name is Miss Scheider, and it is. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I wrote down I wrote it down phonetically because I had no idea what she was saying, and yeah. I listened to it twice, and I, it was Shida. Yeah. I think. But when I was watching it uh, with subtitles, it was... Did your, did your fucking computer just explode? <laughs> <laughs> it said Shider. And I was like, oh, her accent. He's absent today. What is that? Like New Jersey, Boston-y? What is that? I don't know what it is. I don't know. If she She's probably from like Iowa. And she's like, New York. Got it. <laughs> The guidance counselor, she's like, I need a release from a guardian to give Benson Stabler the files. Mm -hmm. They let her know that Andrew Croft, his dad, is dead. He wasn't his father, actually. He was just a guardian. So that's why they have different names. Mm Mm-hmm. She she gives him the file. She, she doesn't know what happened to his actual parents and that he's a new student and he was born in Belgium. She said he's a really good student but could be doing better, but she feels like he has a lot of pain. That makes him gravitate towards troublemakers, particularly Jason Sloan. Mm. This mm-hmm. fucking guy. This fucking guy. Oh, boy. Benson and Stabler are outside of like an arcade or whatever with obvious teenager and cool guy Jason Sloan. Obviously teenager, 32-year-old cool guy. <laughs> oh, that fucking sucked. Sorry. This guy... <laughs> <laughs> This guy has seen his 30th birthday. Yeah. If I bet my life on anything, it's that this guy can rent a car without an adult. Like, this guy is not 16 years fucking old. He has two kids that he never sees. Ever. He's (laughs) thrice divorced. (laughs) This guy is the equivalent of Luke Perry in 90210. Like, hey, we're just teenagers in high school doing teenage things. And it's like, dude, you're 40. Like, your crow's feet are insane. (laughs) (laughs) That's not fresh human skin, man. You can't just put a puka shell necklace on and be a teenager. Although I do love that storyline for like any movie, anything where an adult person goes back to high school, never been kissed. I have seen 150 (laughs) times. So Jason Sloan says that he and Michael aren't close, but they were like kind of friends. And Michael would stay at his house as much as he could to quote unquote, stay away from the creep. Mm -hmm. Jason tells them that he saw Andrew hit Michael and that Andrew was a total dickhole. He didn't give a shit when they told him that Andrew was dead, by the way. He, yeah, he just he just said, excellent. Yeah. He says Michael had other friends and that some girl used to call him from wherever. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know where Michael is. Yeah. And he goes, I'd love to help you do your job, but I'm a high school student. Actually, the entire time he's talking to them, he's looking behind at these girls' butts. Yeah. Then he fucking legitimately turns around and like slaps this girl's butt, but like in a dumb way. Like a, yes, like a little Like he just, he just pushed it. <laughs> like he's he like, was pushing a, one of those things to cross the street. You know what I mean? Bloop. 
Jeffries and Munch walk into Radio Velocity Incorporated, Andrew's work. They're greeted by Uncle Frank from Home Alone and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. He introduces himself as Craig Prince, Andrew Croft's supervisor. Next to him is Ralph Noble, his security. There's a card of files he's handing over from Croft's office, and he says it's everything that's not classified. And it turns out there's a bunch of shit that's classified, including any personal information, next of kin, whatever. He's like, here's some papers for you guys to throw away. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Munch threatens a court order and Kevin's smug ass cheapskate uncle says, well, you can try. Munch hates him. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So they're in the squad room. Munch is pissed because the radio velocity had redacted 1,200 pages of stuff yeah. that they gave him. So as he's bitching about all of the redactions, Cragen walks up and reminds him it's national security and just kind of shrugs. And Munch... <gasps> thinks it's a conspiracy. They're dealing with a murder and the victim's missing son. And he's like, it's too convenient. There's something else going on here. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, oh, okay, Munch. Yeah. Olivia's kind of giving him a little bit of shit. And then Munch gets on the phone with some dude. He was like, I, I want to see you now. And they meet by the Brooklyn Bridge. So they're at the Brooklyn Bridge, This him and this guy. Um, The way the camera panned around him, I think we were all supposed to know who he was. Like, I think that maybe he was like a bigger actor then or something. I thought he was supposed to be shrouded in secrecy is like why they had a screenshot like that. But this guy is dressed like a Midwest dad at Thanksgiving. Just so much yeah. taupe. He's just like head to toe taupe. Head to tope. <laughs> it was right there for you. I Why know. Did you I not... can't, well, I, I was just going to say, I can't believe I missed that. Head to tope. That's like when I was like, <laughs> oh, I see a picture. I gave my friend that fucking other bookend that was the boat. Mm -hmm. And this has killed me to this day. I think about it like in the shower. I've heard this okay. from you. <laughs> Where there's a picture of it on MySpace or something. And it was like, oh, there's our awesome little friendship boat. <laughs> friendship. I know. It like haunts me. Oh, I mean, it's not even a good joke and it still haunts you. Maybe that's why I'm bad at relationships and have low self-esteem. It all stems from that. And I'm like, Gabe, you ain't shit and you'll never be shit. It's a friendship. Friendship. Friendship boat? Like, come on. <laughs> Okay, so they're at the Brooklyn Bridge. Munch is like, who the fuck are these guys? Who is Craig Prince? Anyway, I think this guy is Munch's contact in internal affairs. Yeah, I was like wondering if he was like some contact in feds because the guy was like, mm -hmm. yeah, we've been watching them. The, the guy said Craig Prince, he's a suit and they've been looking into him because he lives way beyond his means, thinking maybe there's like kickbacks and stuff. Yeah. Then he asked about Andrew Croft and the guy is like, oh, he's a missile geek, but has nothing on him. Like he's a bl black hole. Right. And he said that the government will pay anything for guiding systems in missiles mm -hmm. that are so precise. And this guy is huge. Andrew Croft was a main dude in that stuff. Yeah. And they'll do that to the point of like erasing people's pasts mm -hmm. to get these guys. So they're thinking Andrew Croft had like, because there's nothing on him that he had a past. And he had to have had a sketchy past, but because he can basically thread the eye of a needle with a missile, they're going to clear that shit out. Yeah. So now Munch is even more like, what the fuck is going on yeah. here? We cut to Stabler at home, shaving. He hears Maureen scream. He runs to her room, and she's having a nightmare about what she saw. Like, we keep going back to this, like, little thread of Maureen was disturbed by getting out of her car after her dad told her to stay in there. Is this why she's bipolar later? How dare you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so now we're on a beautiful New York City restaurant rooftop patio with Cabot and Cragen. And I'm like, fuck, I want to do that. Brunch. I want to go have fucking brunch. Yeah, dude. Um, she's holding her glass of orange juice. Mimosa. I know. Oh, wait, no, she's a profesh. Yeah, that, that's why no I was like, in there. I was like, she's holding her glass of orange juice like she's never had a mimosa before and only wears nude underwear. Gross. <laughs> 
Yeah, I knew that was going to be good. <laughs> and then Craig, and we, I don't know if you caught this, but Craig and just said he doesn't vote. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeesh, that was a different time. Yeah. It's like, I used to. Um, he's not happy and he doesn't think I that- hate anybody who doesn't vote based on like this principle. It's so fucking narcissistic. Yeah, I know. Fucking vote, you asshole. Yeah. Or go, go somewhere where you can't vote. I don't fucking know. Now I'm like, get out of the country. <laughs> so he's not happy and he's like, he doesn't think he should trust her. And then she says, quote, I intend to stand on your shoulders to reach a broader constituency. Why would I do anything to shorten my grasp? Super honest. Fucking Craigan likes it. She pretty much says fucking you over would fuck me over and I'm not a short-sighted idiot. And he immediately changes his tone. Yeah. And then she takes a drink of her fucking orange juice. Like, just watch it. I think Craigan not only appreciates her honesty, but he also appreciates her confidence and he mm-hmm. pulls a huge file of their open cases from God knows where because he walked up from like pants. <laughs> I think he came he came to this restaurant early, put it under the table, just like in like those mafia tape. movies where yeah. they would like put a gun under a table he's before just, a meeting. He's got one hand on the files the whole time they're talking. <laughs> Throughout the squad room, Jeffries tells everybody that the Emmy got back to them. Andrew was shot behind the left ear by a 38 slug, point mm-hmm. blank. The crotch was set on fire post-mortem. Yeah. Michael is still missing, so was the gun, and Andrew's Lexus is still gone. And I like that they like went through the explanation of it. I know that they have to do it, but I'm like, yeah, we saw a gallon of blood on his sheets and Andrew on fire at the beach. Like, got it. He's dead. Yeah. We get, we get it. So Munch tells him about how he went to go see his dude in the Brooklyn Bridge and Prince is being looked in for kickbacks. And maybe this was all an assassination thing. Him and Olivia kind of get into this little like, she's like, you're always thinking it's a conspiracy. And he was like, you don't think stuff like that can happen. They're about to get into it. But Craig and gets them back on track. He's like, he thinks the relationship between Andrew and Prince warrants more investigation, but they still have a missing kid and until he knows otherwise he's going to assume the kid is still alive so Craig and sends benson and stabler to look for the kid and jeffries and munch to make ada cabot get a search warrant for radial velocity so Craig and sends munch and jeffries to put cabot to the test can she obtain a warrant for radial velocity it sounds like an insane ask since everything's confidential as fuck over there she, she goes you want me to secure a search warrant for the offices of a defense contractor to search classified national security files for evidence in a sexually motivated homicide while she's slowly moving towards the phone. She's like, uh, got the phone to her ear and she asks for the the office of Judge Harriman and she gets through and she's like, Uncle Bill turns her back and I'm like, ah! And then Je- Jeffries and Munch like are like, hey. And yeah, and they look at each other like, look at this shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> they ca- kind of came in that office too like, we don't know her, you know? Yeah. yeah. She's throwing her dick around and it is huge. It's huge and it's wearing a, a beige skirt suit. <laughs> she, it's just like... <laughs> Um, next scene, bam, that warrant gets slapped on Uncle Frank's desk. I'm just going to call him Craig Prince. I kept going back to wanting to call him Uncle Frank. But Craig Prince is very flustered and pissed that they have this warrant. Munch wasn't satisfied with the first warrant slap, so he picked up the warrant and slaps it down again. <laughs> and these and cops just start clearing out Craig's- Yeah, he's like, are you fucking kidding me? And Munch was like, you, you told me to try. And so then these cops just start clearing out Prince's desk and shit. Mm-hmm. They're back in the squad room. They located Andrew's Lexus in upstate New York in Millbrook. Outside Poughkeepsie. Yeah, outside Poughkeepsie. Oh, that was where Croft transferred from. Oh, he was that. They were in Millbrook before they came to the city. Did uh, you miss a part? And now it makes a lot more sense. So I was like, why is this kid 
fucking hanging out at Millbrook. Why is he at Millbrook High? He's supposed to be in Macar. Yeah. I didn't realize he transferred like three feet away. <laughs> yeah. So the Lexus has been located. It's upstate outside of Poughkeepsie in Millbrook. They've got local cops watching the car before Benson and Stapes can get up there. The detect get up to Millbrook to get the car. It's parked on the street in front of a quaint little house and Stabler sees blood on the trunk so they pop it. The local cop struts up and he's a real Barney Fife looking motherfucker, right? Like thumbs in the belt loops. Mm. Like nobody's home. Yeah. <laughs> he says nobody's in the house, but it belongs to Richard and Darlene Sadler, and they own a hardware store. Their daughter, Denise, goes to the high school in town. Oh, the girl who called Andrew from wherever mm. that the obviously teenaged cool guy told us about? Yeah, the butt pusher guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of blood in the trunk and a gun. Mm-hmm. Stabler and Benson then go off to Adams High School. There's a lot of walk and talks this episode, mm-hmm. and they're walking and talking with the principal. <laughs> what? This <laughs> is funny. I just I just clocked the walking and talking thing, and I was like, they're walking and talking with the principal. Yeah, they're walking and talking with the principal while he wields his powers in the halls of the school. Mm-hmm. Denise is in class. He says Michael's a great kid, but he's not missing. He's in the school mentoring program. What? <laughs> <laughs> They go out to find Michael, the high schooler who's uh, who's fucking 40. This kid is 40 years old. They find Michael doing sports with kids who have Down syndrome. Michael says this is about Andrew, isn't it? Yeah, dude. He has like Ray Liotta eyes, though. You notice that? Those um, eyelashes no, I, and like... I mean... When he was crying, you could see it better. <laughs> that sounds weird, but... Yeah, Ray Liotta has like constant water eye. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always glossy looking. It almost looks like he's wearing eyeliner because his... Oh so, yeah, this guy had like amazing eyelashes. Yeah, he did. I did like a huge deep dive on this actor. Really? Yeah, just because I was like, you look fucking familiar. But he kind of had like a Jared Leto vibe as well. Oh yeah. So I'm like, like a young yeah. But he's not. He's not like huge or anything. But he's been in a bunch of stuff. I'll get there. So he's like, oh, you hear about Andrew? And I'm like, yeah, dude, you roasted his dick off, and you're driving his car around full of fucking evidence. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're here about Andrew. Yeah, they make a little like makeshift interrogation room in a classroom. Mm-hmm. He wants to talk. He's like, they're they're like, you can have your lawyer be here or whatever. And he's like, no, I'll talk. He's and he straight up says he killed him. And Benson Olivia's like, does like a fucking spins on her heel. <laughs> yeah, Michael says Andrew hit him and he hit him back and they got into a fight. And Michael said Andrew went nuts and grabbed his gun. And then Andrew said he was going to kill him. And they wrestled and the gun went off and Andrew was dead. So he wrapped him up in a sheet, put him in the trunk, and he goes, next thing I knew, I was driving home. So there. There are a lot of holes in this story, mm-hmm. but that's what he gives them in that moment. Oh, yeah. Cause that's right. Because Stabler and Benson were kind of shooting each other looks like something's up, you know. Mm-hmm. So they handcuff him and they, they take him out of the school and like the entire student body is there like, no, Michael. And then there's just, like, this teacher with like crazy bangs that was like, this can't be right. <laughs> Not Michael. Like <laughs> the worst acting ever. You got really Moira Rose there. Did I? Yeah. Let me see if I can do it again. This can't be right. No, I can't. Okay, so they're in the squad room. Munch is going through these papers still. And Craigan's like, what are you doing? We have a confession already. And Munch is not buying that they just got into a fight and it was an accidental kill. It's too tidy, he says. Yeah, especially because Michael fucking lit Andrew's crotch on fire. Yeah, Staves calls the fire crotch a sexually... Stabes. Stabes calls the fire crotch a sexually motivated homicide. Yeah. So Munch thinks that Andrew was molesting Michael and that's why he killed him. Yeah. Munch knows there's something in these classified documents. Radio Velocity is hiding something. Stabes has to go meet with Skoda, the J.K. Simmons drink. Yeah. Stabes walks in and Skoda is dressed like a JV football coach. Polo golf tee, khakis. 
I'm like, oh, wait, where's you, your turtleneck, bruh? You explained to him, right? That he was from the episode yeah. with the, okay. Yeah, J.K. Simmons shrink. You're like the only person that doesn't like hard know who J.K. Simmons is, by the way. Like I was listening to it. I'm like, why didn't I jump all over the fact that you were like, oh yeah, this guy's from Oz. It's like, it's J.K. fucking Simmons. He was in Whiplash. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Whiplash. He's played everybody's dad. He's the, we are farmers. Bum, ba, dum, bum, oh, bum, yeah. guy. Yeah. He's that guy. I didn't catch the Home Alone guy either. I don't remember what he looked like. Oh, the second I saw him come on screen, I FaceTimed Gabe the second that I went along with Uncle it. I Frank was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had <gasps> no idea what's going on. Oh, I was, I mean, thanks for going along with it because I you was so, so full of joy about yeah. it. I'm like, I Googled it and it was him. So Stabes doesn't want to talk because he's pissed that Dr. Audrey tattled on him. Mm-hmm. And Skoda says they're obligated to report if they think someone will do violence to someone. And Stabler goes, I've never done violence to anyone. Eyebrows up, finger, finger- point down, yeah. tiny nod. Yeah. It was pretty funny because that's obviously not true. And that's not a <laughs> sentence. Yeah. I've never done violence to anyone. Yeah. The, other, the dude's like, come on, man. Yeah. He's so, like, we know each other. Give me the benefit of the doubt. For sure. So Skoda calmly gets him to talk and Stabler goes off about this case and how he had fantasized about feeding the perp his gun and then he met him and he's like, he's a good kid, straight A's, a star athlete who mentors kids with Down syndrome. He's trying to make sense of the crime. Skoda's like, you know, you've been on the force for 14 years. What murders have ever made sense? He's like, some I like kind of get why it happened, but like most of them don't make sense. He's like, why did this one get under your skin? And he's like, this one my daughter saw. Stabler enters the squad room. Munch and Benson are there, but Jeffries is talking to the shrink now. So while Staves was busy, Munch got Benson to get a conspiracy hard on with him. They took prints on the corpse of Andrew Croft and ran them in NCIS. You know what's weird? Hmm. Is that that stands for more than one thing because there's something about NCIS in my chaser too. So this NCIS is the National Crime Information Center, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing to prove he had ever existed prior to 1991 when he was hired at Radial Velocity. Yeah. But they found a passport in the warrant shit that they found issued 10 years prior in San Diego. They had it run and got a hit. George Kaczynski is Andrew Croft's real name and is a convicted sexual predator. Little George liked little boys. Mm -hmm. This whole time, Stabler is saying nothing with his mouth, but everything with his eyes. His brows are in his hairline. He is they're shocked. Fur- they're furrowed as fuck. Yeah. It's like like this. It's like great. Another one. His eyebrows were like, mm, mm, mm. like cartoon. Climbing the ladder. <laughs> cartoon brows. <laughs> Captain Crunch, his like eyebrows were in his hat. <laughs> Okay, so now basically Andrew Croft has been busy. Yeah. 11 arrests, five aliases, and four convictions. Yeah. They tracked him because San Diego PD faxed them his rap sheet and he just followed all the priors back. So Munch goes on about the military industrial complex and why they were capable of erasing his file. Cragen's all worried because going up against the feds is insane, but he's down to back Munch, which I mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So only the feds can erase a file and radio velocity is the feds. Yeah. Cragen is like, if you're going to accuse the federal government of sanctioning the, the second abuse of a child please tell me you have a fucking motive oh yeah yeah so next munch and stabler are at the desk of craig prince remember head of radio velocity slash uncle, uncle frank. frank okay next to prince stands his security officer we met him prior ralph mm-hmm. noble munch shows prince the munch shows Prince. every time i say prince like i use their last names it sounds like you're saying prince like fingerprints right oh i just pictured like prince in like a full purple mm. velour suit <laughs> And like a ruffly um, undershirt. He's like, where did you get these? (laughs) 
So Munch shows Prince the documents that prove Andrew Croft has this terrible history. And he's like, where did you get these? And Munch is like, that's classified. And <laughs> um, That's class. I wish she'd she talk like a teenage girl in the 90s. Or the, <laughs> for Munch. Yeah. Um, that's classified. <laughs> and like the building basically just set on fire with the level of burn that Munch just got on Uncle Frank. Yeah. Also, Munch has never come harder than in that <laughs> fucking moment when he got to say that guy. Like he was on the drive over and he's like, oh my God, I hope he asks where I got these from because I'm going to be like, your mom. No, I'm going to be like, that's classified. Yeah. Because <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom. No. <laughs> That's fucking classified. I just busted my zipper because that was such a sweet. Keep going. Okay. That's classified. Cream his pants. <laughs> Um, so then Munch goes on to give his thoughts on motive. Croft was insanely good at missile placement, like amazingly and uniquely good. Mm -hmm. And the government was willing to overlook the fact that he was a monster so they could use him. Munch goes, couldn't let a little thing like pedophilia get in the way of national security. <laughs> and then Prince is like, there's a lot of things that take a backseat to national security. But if he would have known, he would have never hired him. And mm -hmm. Munch says, right, like there was no Nazis in NASA. Yeah. And then I wrote boom after that. I don't, it's not. Munch is kind of antagonizing the security guard, Mr. Noble. The dude is a war hero and Munch can't figure out why he's protecting a pedophile and Prince. Yeah. Noble takes it like Munch is challenging his patriotism and he's mm -hmm. super offended by it. Oh my God, I didn't even mention this whole time that fucking Stabler was there. Stabler's there too. <laughs> he's not doing anything but he's like not. eyebrows in his hairline and like watching Munch, Munch go for go. it. Yeah. So Stabler's there just kind of like backing up Munch, which is great because now like the whole team is behind him. Mm -hmm. So Munch has this like conversation with Noble where he's sort of antagonizing him as Noble is walking them to the elevator. Mm -hmm. So then Stabler and Munch get on the elevator and Stabler's like, why are you provoking him? And Munch says that Noble is a war hero and has strong moral convictions that die hard. He doesn't think that he would protect Radio Velocity if they were knowingly covering for a child molester. So he still has the intention of working on Noble. He thinks that there's more to it mm -hmm. that it's like noble knows some shit he knows some shit but is kind of like innocent and being lost in it like he's covering something that he has too much integrity to cover if he knew all the details mm -hmm. okay so now they're at rikers island because they're like we gotta fucking talk to michael moore about like what why he's with michael moore <laughs> we gotta fucking talk to michael moore and he's like hey got a hat on like get out of here we didn't ask for you <laughs> Have you seen Bowling for Columbine? <laughs> like, yes. God, we all have. Was it Benson and Stabler that were there? Because I didn't. Like... Uh, grinding on the security officer. That is not what I meant. The um, Rikers Island. Yeah. Benson and Stabler. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are talking to Michael and Rikers, trying to figure out like what the fuck's going on and what happened to his parents and stuff. So Michael says his parents died in a car wreck when he was eight. And the only person that could take care of them was Nana. And she was really old. And Andrew offered to help take care of Michael. So Michael and his dad worked at NATO in Brussels. Andrew would come to Michael's soccer practice and Michael's dad was a, was a janitor at NATO and like was really proud to have like a rocket scientist as his buddy. Mm -hmm. um, so Andrew took an interest in Michael and got him all sorts of sports lessons <laughs> like and said he was like a natural athlete. Stuff like that his family couldn't afford like sailing and stuff. So right. Andrew took him like all over the world kind of until they finally went to Melbrook. Michael had actually made friends and got a girlfriend. Stabler tells Michael that in 1990 Andrew was convicted of sexually assaulting an 11 year old boy and Michael said he didn't know anything about that. Stabler gets a little like really confronty here 
here. It's yeah. like, he's like, I, I don't have time for this. He's like, so mm-hmm. just tell me when is the first time Andrew assaulted you. Yeah. And Michael's like, he didn't touch me. And he was very adamant about it. Super agitated. Yeah. Benson and Stabler think that Michael is hiding something because you don't volunteer to do hard time unless you're afraid of somebody else that has more sway. Michael's lawyer is there the whole time during this questioning. When the detectives leave, Michael's nerdy munch and training lawyer says it looks like he can use the EED defense, the extreme emotional disturbance defense. Mm-hmm. So Benson to Stabler is like, what the fuck, dude? Like, why are you giving him all of this ammo? Like, we're with the prosecution. We arrested this guy. And it just doesn't sit right with Stabler that Michael is willing to do hard time because he's embarrassed. They speculate that maybe Andrew had an accomplice, somebody that scares Michael more than Andrew. And I'm like, who boy, I see where this is going. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's really important to note that Stabler was like, I need him to say that something bad happened. Like, I know something happened to him for this to be the case. I'm not just going to throw this kid away. Right. Again, I kept fucking forgetting because I would look at people's faces and be like, all right, here's the perp. And it's like, no, this kid is, this adult man is pretending to be 16. They're supposed to be like, oh, empathy for like a young teenager. Mm -hmm. I have to remember that this guy is a teenager. (laughs) Right. Not Steve Buscemi in a teenager mask. <laughs> so they're outside. Munch confronts the uh, secu- that security guy, Mr. Noble. Yeah. Um, outside of the radial velocity building. New York City streets walk and talk. And he's like, why are you hiding Andrew's pass? And the guy said that they erased Andrew's pass convictions because every time Andrew crossed a border to do work, mm-hmm. it would raise red flags. And every minute counted during the Gulf War. And he was crucial to the military at the time with his ability to like, you know, like you said, thread the needle. Right. The smart bomb technology. Yeah. It um, wasn't about protecting him. It was like, we just need to get him in and out and like get moving and he can't be stopped Mm -hmm. at every border. They like erased this thing, like built a firewall around Andrew Croft during the war and it it never came down. He's like, he's like, I don't know why. It was supposed to come down after like his duties. Yeah. And during, and while the firewall was up was when Andrew applied for the guardianship of Michael. Right. No flags went up because he doesn't have a record at the time. And Noble looked like really, he was like, I don't know why it would come back down like it should have. Yeah. That hit him, I think. Yeah. It was like, yeah. And then he got guardianship of an eight-year-old boy. Now you fucking know what happened to him. Yeah. So we're in ADA Cabot's office and it's like a close-up of Alex Cabot looking over the info on Croft as Cragen and Stabler look on. And I laughed because she's reading it and she goes, my God, (laughs) like my mom catching me watching South Park when I was 12. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. She was like super grossed out. Yeah. She pages for whoever to get her in touch with someone at the Department of Justice. And Cragen's like, what the fuck, lady? He doesn't want a federal case made out of it. ADA Cabot wants to make it a federal case. They think she needs to think about Michael and like what's going on with him. And she's like, dude, he denies being sexually assaulted by Andrew Croft. There's no evidence to contradict that denial. And Cragen's pissed. Cabot's like, I'm 100% certain he was abused. But with his denial, there's no evidence that that there was any abuse. And there's nothing that she can do. Yeah. So Stabler's like, you're fucking protecting your stats as a lawyer mm-hmm. and yeah your win-lose average she's, yeah he's like you're protecting your win-lose he like fired some shots mm-hmm. Cragen's like calm down and then Cabot turns around and says it's okay because he's stressed out about his psych stuff and that Michael got got away with doing what Stabler has always fantasized about and that's killing a perpetrator and I'm like this is some real housewives level shade Megs is gonna get this and anybody else who loves SVU and Bravo programming. Cragen in this moment is Andy Cohen and this is the reunion. I don't know. I know you don't. This This laugh isn't for you. Okay. (laughs) Serious shots fired and I'm fucking like, hats off to you, Cabot, for like being calm and being like, 
No, dude. Yeah. You know, on his sta- Stabler's face, too, the way it dropped after she said that, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, shit. Um, but Craig and stands with Stabler on this, and she puts her, like, Michelle Obama arms on her desk to get up. Did you notice that? She's ripped. Yeah. And she's like, dude, this kid had choices instead of murder, but mm-hmm. she's going to go for it. Either he corroborates the abuse or she goes for murder, too. Yeah. Hard-ass DA or heartless and dead inside. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So Benson and Stabler are back with Michael in an interrogation room, and they're gently trying to coax an admission out of him. Michael's not into it. Nope. He flips out and says he can't and begs them to just let him go to jail and leave him alone. Mm -hmm. It's like, what the fuck? Cabot and Craig are on the other side of the glass. Cabot's like, I have to go with murder too. And they all just want to protect him. And she's like, like her hands are tied. She has to do her fucking job. Yeah. Stays is at home in the kitchen. It's the middle of the night. He's always wearing a tank top. Like if he's not at work, this guy is in a tank top. Mm -hmm. Real cop stuff. Marine comes down and says she's not sleeping. And they have a really tough conversation. Do you um, see how that she just started instantly like making him a sandwich though? Was she making him a sandwich or was she making herself a sandwich? No, because she pushed it over to him and he picked it up at the end. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Ew. It had a ton of tomatoes, very little mustard, but like <laughs> an entire an entire garden of lettuce. She just kept doing this it was because i watched this twice and i kept saying like what kind of fucking sand this sandwich is like what are we in a fucking deli like this is huge <laughs> and why are you she, whatever like i watched her cut the tomato and i was like watch your fingertips dude you need to curl the end of your fingertips but beyond yeah. that i didn't really watch the sandwich making because yeah. she was being a fucking cunty little bitch God, i hate her oh um, i can't wait for the episode where she runs her car into that wall so oh. stop <laughs> you're terrible <laughs> So they have a really tough conversation and Stabler puts on his dad cape. She asks about Michael and what he did to Croft. And Stabler said that he was terribly abused by someone who was supposed to take care of him and Michael had had enough. Stabler says Michael's going to go to prison and he wishes that he would just tell the truth. And Maureen tells him that kids don't want to talk to grownups because they're always judging them. So they just Mm -hmm. talk to their friends. And he's like, what if they don't have any friends? And she's like, everybody's got friends, dad. And he asks who she talks to. And he's like, Ryan Witherspoon. And this little fucking bitch. I know. She goes, more than you talk to mom. And I'm like, what did you say, you smug little bitch? I would lose it. I, uh, like, wrote, like, 15 O's. (laughs) Uh, like, oh. Yeah, and he just like takes it. It doesn't say anything. This guy is I wonder I, riding a hair fucking trigger in yeah. every other scenario. So now we go to like the pre-trial. ADA Cabot is questioning Dr. Taylor, who is our ME from The Wire. Mm-hmm. She asks him to lay out what happened forensically, and he said it was impossible for Croft to have shot himself in a struggle for the gun. He was shot from three or four feet away and had no residue on his own hands at all. Stabler is then on the stand describing the crime scene and there's this quick pan up from the stenographer's hands and she's got some spread your fingers flat to be able to type nails on (laughs) megan clocked that last time too she was like she's like that's me if i was that's and i said (laughs) that's my kind of girl that's like that was me as i was typing my shit So then it's Benson's turn and that's not really, they're just, it's being made very clear that this is cut and dry, easy peasy. Michael is going to go to prison, right? After the questioning, Stabes asks Benson to go up to Millbrook with him. His conversation with Maureen got him thinking. Mm -hmm. You see, she is good for cares. Okay, they're at Adams High School. Benson and Stabes are talking to Michael's girlfriend, Denise, who's at least 42. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) She's wearing like a babushka. She had a... She's like a bandana around her head. And she's the one at the PTA meeting that's like, "Mm, I'll head that up. 
Yeah. Like, you're not 16, right. Denise. Denise. No one who's ever been 16 has been named Denise. No, your name is Sarah for that year. You're born Aunt Denise or you've never existed. <laughs> I have an Aunt Denise. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so Denise says that they were dating about three months. Oh, and they ask her if he, Michael had ever talked about Andrew. And she starts to kind of get upset. She says they didn't get along. And Denise's parents let him stay in their spare bedroom. And, and Michael would sometimes lie about Andrew being gone sometimes so he didn't have to go home. Yeah. Her parents liked him a lot. Andrew never really objected to Michael staying over after that thing with Danny Barrel. And they're like... Danny Burrell. Oh, I knew it. When I <laughs> typed it, I was like, don't write Barrel because you're going <laughs> to fucking say it. And I did. They asked... <laughs> Danny Barrel. Why do they call him that? And then they cut to him and he's a fucking rodeo clown. <laughs> or he is a barrel. He just has a couple Danny eyeballs. Danny <laughs> <laughs> And like stick arms. <laughs> Um, he looks really sad in my in my picture. A human barrel. <laughs> oh. The metal part that goes around the middle, the widest part of the barrel is like his mouth and he's like, Hey guys <laughs> Like say it, don't spray it, barrel. <laughs> Hold on. So they're like, Well who the fuck is Danny Burrell? <laughs> Shut up. It's so stupid. So <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> So they're like, who the fuck is Danny Burrell? <laughs> who is he? Who is Danny Burrell and what happened? Danny Burrell was Michael's best friend. One day they were best buds and the next they hate each other. And she didn't know why. Yeah, she didn't know the details, but was like, something happened. And they're like, thanks, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Aunt D. So Benson and Staves walk in on wrestling practice. Danny Burrell is a Jesse Metcalf slash Justin Bieber pre-tiny mustache type. Mm -hmm. As an actor, his name is Paul Wesley. He comes back to SVU mm. as another dude in 2005. Cool. By the way, why did I look him up? Because he was attractive. And you know what? I can say that because he guaranteed was not a fucking teenager. Yeah. He's yeah. an adult man. Yeah. There was man bulges all over that fucking... <laughs> singlet yeah <laughs> so he's hesitant to talk to the detectives so they go <laughs> i know <laughs> so they go they can't look at you so they go somewhere comfortable for him an empty baseball field Stabes comes straight with it did andrew croft attack you and danny's like oh michael swore he wouldn't say anything danny says he'll talk to Stabes and not olivia and that is the first authentic teenager thing we've seen in this episode of mm -hmm. 25 year old juniors yeah. did you notice though <laughs> olivia I didn't make a note about it, but I knew you were going to bring it up. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, during this whole, like, really intimate conversation of, of Danny then being vulnerable to Stabes, Olivia's, like, you can see her, like, way far fuzzy in the background climbing up the bleachers, and then she just kind of hunkers down and watches for this, like, three-minute conversation. <laughs> and then what is Sailor going to be like, Olivia, we're done. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> she does the wave. <laughs> It's just her, like, every 20 seconds she does it again. <laughs> Danny tells Stabler a story. He and Michael were playing ball, went back to Michael's to clean up. Andrew was supposed to be gone, so Danny used his shower. When he got out, Andrew was standing outside the shower, naked, touching himself. Andrew grabbed him, and Danny fought him off. He took off out the bathroom, and Michael was just standing there. And that pissed Danny off. Well, because when he when he saw Andrew freaking jerking it, he was like, Michael! He like yelled like for him. Oh, yeah, and he, yeah, yeah. And Michael didn't come. So he assumed he didn't hear him, and he runs out. Michael's like right there. He's like, yeah. what the fuck? And he also thought it was gross that 
that Michael and Andrew were doing that shit together, but he assumed that if Michael didn't like it, he could have easily made him stop. He's like, mm-hmm. Michael was six feet tall and he benched 220 pounds. Stabler's like, hey, you little shit ass. It was Mike- it was happening to him since he was eight. And he's, he's like, like, nice best friend, turning on his bud like that. Yeah. It's like, who is he, who is he going to turn to when his best friend won't talk to him? I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? I mean, but also, this is just, the, again, I'm like, so, like picking apart shit, but it's like, okay, so Andrew groomed Michael from when he was eight, but then like he just thinks that a random teenager that comes over is gonna fuck him. Like I don't get it. Yeah. Like you're you're not even gonna be like like hey you want to stay for pizza or like any other kind of groomy shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Was that disgusting that I said <laughs> that? Like, I don't know. Hey, you got a whole bunch of video games. Yeah, Take off your pants or you know whatever. Like or like you guys want to stay here and drink some alcohol because you're 16 and clearly not adults. Like yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like why? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That he's just like... And then Danny Barrel's like, yep, I'll go get it. I'll go get the booze. Because <laughs> I can. Because I'm fucking 42. Because <laughs> I'm a barrel. Because I'm, a, ha- I'm a, a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I've been cursed. I'm a human barrel. <laughs> and I won't change until I find my one true love. <laughs> so off to the liquor store I go. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I pictured it. He's like coming up on a hill, and he just rolls down. I used to work at Niagara Falls. I was the—they called me the Barrel Boy. I was the number one barrel this side of the Mississippi. There's a whole like Forrest Gump style movie about Danny Barrel. He's like. I worked at Jack Daniels for a time being, and then, it, but in in the like the the preview, it's like a barrel with like a helmet on running, trying to catch a football. You know, <laughs> everybody's like, "What?" Him next to Nixon. <laughs> Ron falls- Barrel, Ron. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Just a barrel's little stick arm <laughs> touching Jenny's boob in college. <laughs> it only has like three fingers. Like a little white cartoon glove. <laughs> Seat's taken. <laughs> like, oh my God, somebody make the barrel sit down. He's huge. We're in a school bus. <laughs> like, he can't even get through the door. Are you kidding me? It's like, I'm 10 and I have to turn sideways. This barrel can't turn sideways. <laughs> like, can we move on? Yes. <laughs> They're in the grand jury room. Michael's on the stand and in Cabot is questioning him. He's still standing by that he killed him. But she's like, there's no trace of gunpowder on the deceased hands. She asked if he witnessed Andrew sexually assaulting Danny Burrell. Mm-hmm. Michael denies it. Cabot explains that Danny will testify that Andrew did not, in fact, sexually assault him and Michael saw. So Michael starts to admit that he was assaulted and so was Danny. He's like getting upset and he's just like, you don't understand. She's like in his face now and yeah. she's like, you shot him to get him to stop molesting you. And he's like, no, I I hated it, but I was used to it. Yeah. He's like, I shot him because Andrew started bringing over his friend. Mm. And everybody's kind of like, what? Yeah. And he said, Andrew would bring a guy over sometimes and make Michael do stuff with him. He's like, I thought it was over when when they moved from Millbrook. Yeah. He's like, but they actually moved right across the fucking street from the guy. And when he came home from school, the guy was just there. And he yeah. like begged them not to. And the ADA keeps asking, like, who is it? And he's scared. He's like, he'll kill me. Cabot says, like, he can't get to him. And Michael is like, like, you don't know the power this guy has. Yeah, she's like, you're in our hands right now. Yeah. He can't get to you. She says that a child molester only has power if his secret is kept and that if he tells the truth, the power is gone. Which it's- is like, I wish we could instill that in every fucking child. Like, if right. it was just like a thing yeah. that we could make kids know. Yeah. Fuck. 
So he admits it's fucking Craig Prince. Head of Radial Velocity, remember? Yeah. He's like, they killed that boy in Belgium and he heard them talking about it and no one did anything. And Cabot is like, what? When? What boy? It was in the paper in Belgium when Michael was eight. He says Craig Prince can get away with anything. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So they're at fucking Radial Velocity. Munch and Stabler bust into a meeting. They handcuff him in front of all of his fucking people and tell him he's under arrest for sexual abuse, sodomy, assault, and endangering the welfare of a child. They're reading him his rights, and the security guard guy is just sitting there like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know how some people don't get arrested for fucking knowing stuff. Yeah. Whatever. So they're at the Morris Commission's court. Kraken comes up to the table where all the, the whole panel is sitting and starts setting down pictures of victims and like saying like, this person was, you know, raped and about this person didn't make it. And then he's like, were like super graphic. Yeah. He's like trying to remind them what they used to do and why the job can be so hard and cause stress and why detectives think and feel stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Kraken asks is there anyone on this panel that doesn't feel Detective Stabler's anger for these perpetrators? So Craigan's like, Stabler's a good cop. Craigan stands with him and every good cop that faces these horrors day after day and has the strength to have their impulses in check. Yeah. Where is this same support for fucking Jeffries? Don't even fucking... Mm-mm. I'm waiting to see if we see anything else play out because Jeffrey's, this is not her last episode, but she gets fucked over. This fucks her. Like, I agree with Craig in here. All of this is to defend Stabler's statements of wanting to kill perps and still have the strength to keep his impulses in check. And he says, if you look at these pictures and not understand that, the problem here isn't Elliot Stabler. So, like, what he's saying is, like, if this makes you feel nothing, then you're fucked up. And he said that to Stabler before. He was like, be worried when you start feeling nothing. Yeah, and it's true. But then when it's like, okay, so Jeffries was not properly represented. First of all, we don't even see her representation at all. But because what? That's cut and dry and she should be fired. But it's like the dude wasn't a fucking perp or a suspect. Yeah. Well, he was a suspect. But then he was, he was just being watched. He was never a confirmed suspect. Yeah. What the fuck? I don't know. And it also has to do with like women fucking. Well, and she obviously had some like PTSD shit after that explosion Mm -hmm. because she was all kind of off. So, yeah. So Stabler gets a call at home again. Full man tank off the clock. So it's tank top o'clock at the Stabler home, (laughs) which is 24 (laughs) seven. It's Kragen. Stabes gets to keep his job. We all know what that means. Jeffries is gone. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Squad room. It's pretty quiet. In walks a slick as shit looking iced tea, Finn Tutuola in head to toe, red, white, and black, do-rag, chain, strut, strut, strut. Yeah. This guy is just gliding into the squad room. Yeah. Kragen blows right by him as he tries to introduce himself. Jeffries greets him. Monique Jeffries, maybe I can help. Finn Tutuola, I've been reassigned. She kind of cocks her head and goes, you're here for my job. Tutuola goes, well, this is awkward. And then Jeffries goes, try my side of things. Yeah. And then she walks away. But the last frame is on Tutuola like, (laughs) but I want to know what the scene was supposed to entail because the laziness of the editing makes it perfect. You can see Jeffries playing with his necklace in the last scene when it's like supposed to be closing out after she's walked away. She's playing with his necklace? Yes. So he's got this like big long chain on. Let me paint it for you again really quick. Jeffries is like, try my side of things, walks away, camera fully on Tutuola, but then you see Jeffrey's hand holding his necklace like 
There was probably a version of this where she like owns him super hard and they chose this instead. Like she probably like said some awesome burn. So she was already like gone, then then she was back. Yeah. I didn't catch that at all. Right away I'm like, why was her hand like jiggling his necklace? Oh, she probably said something making fun of him. Yeah. And we missed it because I guess we're just done with her now because only one powerful woman can be on a show. Wait, no, ADA Cabot's there now. So now it has to be Benson and Cabot. So Jeffrey's has to go because otherwise all of their periods are going to sink up and they're going to flood New York. I have no idea how SVU became my favorite show since there is nothing I try to avoid more than child abuse shit. Not only do I not like researching child abuse shit, trying to find details on a military case is like trying to piece together a story that you don't have all of the access to. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. U.S. Marine Daniel E. DeSmit is a person who should have his dick set on fire with a blowtorch. Okay. That's a callback. (laughs) He joined the Marine Corps in 1991 and rose to the ranks to become Chief Warrant Officer. I don't know any rankings in the military, but enlisted Marines must have served at least eight years of active duty and have obtained the rank of Sergeant to be considered for appointment as Warrant Officer. They must be technical or tactical specialists, be recommended by their commanding officer, and meet aptitude requirements. Key skills and requirements include a strong ability to lead by example, mental and physical stamina, readiness to respond to assignments on short notice specialized technical or tactical skills, be a U.S. citizen, have no felony convictions, and pass a drug and aptitude test. He was more specifically Chief Warrant Officer 4. Now, this rank is considered as a senior-level technical and tactical expert. Their primary duty is to support brigade, battalion, division, and corps operations. So this guy's position in the Marines was, like, a big deal. Having been married twice, DeSmit had three children. That is legit all I could find about his personal life outside of his crimes. Mm-hmm. What crimes? What crimes, you ask? Yeah. I ask. <laughs> so this guy started being investigated out of what? You're just so beautiful. Oh my God, <laughs> You're just, you're laughing and you're the cute little teeth are so perfect. Oh my gosh, stop. No. Don't stop. <laughs> so this guy started being investigated out of dumb fucking luck. I could go on a whole different bunny trail about this other dude, but we're just gonna plow through his piece of shit ass to get back to this other guy. A civilian Navy employee, David Talman, was found with thousands of sexually explicit images and video of very young kids. Because of him, investigators tracked this piece of shit's payments through Western Union to the small, poor fishing municipality of Cordova in Cebu, Philippines, where they found Eileen Antong. Okay? The story is a web of disgusting lizard people. So, Antong was considered the, quote, queen of cyber porn in Cordova. Cordova. Uh, so once they found this four foot round little lady, like really unassuming looking woman. It's like somebody's aunt or something. Little little auntie. Yeah. Terrible, disgusting, sociopathic aunt. So once investigators found Antong, they began to dig deeper into her operation and found at least 20 people in the US, UK, and Australia paying for images or live shows from her. This group of worthless skin sacks included Daniel E. DeSmit. In fact, he was her biggest client. 
he had spent over $36,000 viewing and producing child pornography from Antong over the course of six or so years. Oh my fucking God. And I mean, that's just with this monstrous cunt. It's extremely unlikely that he just started doing this because he stumbled into the dark web and found some stupid bitch producing kitty porn. Like, mm. this is just what's on record for him. Right. I can't handle going into the details, but I will give you broad strokes so you can properly get on my level about this dude. And this woman. Um, in emails to Antong, Tong DeSmit was found bragging about having sex with eight and nine-year-old girls. He was planning a two-week trip to the Philippines and making quite a few arrangements with Antong, including detailed descriptions of the look of the kids he wanted and things he would expect them to do. Oh my God. He made it very clear that he would be having sex every day. He also apparently, quote-unquote, directed, I'm assuming this just means webcam shit, about 80 live videos of children interacting with one another by themselves or being abused by an adult. You get it. Jeez. Mm -hmm. When interviewed, one of the children, because children were interviewed, when interviewed, one of the children said that they had been paid $3.41 per show. Many of the kids were brought to Antong by their parents looking to make fast money. Oh, my God. I know. A lot of these kids ended up being taken away from their parents and put into programs, and who knows what those programs are like. It's just fucking sad. Antong was arrested in May of 2013 with charges including at least 30 victims with a few as young as three years old are you kidding me yeah that's a joke you were on fire today (laughs) oh my god no it's i it like makes me sick to even say like i was getting really choked up reading all of this shit i'm leaving out every fucking detail that i can't handle saying out loud what how did you get you can say how you got caught they found his name in her like fucking oh yeah that's right files she had like a fucking heidi fleiss style little black book of dudes and he was like her number one. Oh well, God. then they took all of her her hard drives and her fucking communications, and they had all of the emails. I mean, I read all these emails that were exchanged. Fucking sick shit between this dude and fucking kitty porn coyote. Like, what the what would she be called? I don't know. Piece of shit. Yeah, bitch. Gross lady. Puke pile. Lady Mick shouldn't be alive. <laughs> Dumpster cunt. <laughs> These charges included not only directing children to quote-unquote perform, but abusing them herself if that's what viewers asked for. Her doing it too? Yeah. Well, Um, obviously, of course. DeSmit pled guilty on 18 counts, including conspiracy to commit rape of a child. A military judge found him guilty on all counts and sentenced him to 144 years. After his conviction, the Marine Corps released the statement, quote, at a general court-martial in Okinawa, Japan, Chief Warrant Officer 4, D.E. DeSmit, was convicted by a military judge alone of conspiracy to commit sexual assault and rape of children, aggravated sexual abuse of a child, sexual abuse of a child, and possession of child pornography. The military judge sentenced the accused to 144 years of confinement, a reprimand, and dismissal. That sounds like a good end, right? Let me guess. Mm-hmm. Let me guess. Guess. He gets off oh, just like and yeah. you can't find anything about him. So this is where that military little bitch gets Massey. The Associated Press had requested the investigative report in this case, and the NCIS was like, nah. And so this is, in the episode, the NCIS was something else, but in this, the NCIS is the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. 
Okay. So the report that was requested from the NCIS was a Freedom of Information Act request. I'm going to get more into that in a minute. But they actually said that if they were to release it, it would be, quote, an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy. What? Question mark? Yeah. I want to walk that back. This guy was convicted of a slew of child rape and porn charges and they don't want to invade his personal privacy. Mm-hmm. That's not how that works for anybody else. No. So the AP appealed, and the Navy Judge Advocate General's Office overruled NCIS, and the report was released. All of the names in the 198-page investigative report were blacked out, including DeSmith's name. Also this, in an undisclosed pretrial agreement, the Marine Corps had cut his prison term to 20 years. What the fuck is going on? They seem to forget to mention that in their brief statement. Mm-hmm. Misleading to say the least when they announced the judgment of 144 years, he won't even do the 20 if he's paroled, which he is eligible for. If he were to be charged federally, the judge has the final say, so that 144 years would have stuck and parole wouldn't be on the table for this type of crime. And according to the military justice system, he could be paroled after only serving one third of his sentence. I'll do the math for you, Gabe. It's just under seven years. I Okay. I mean, I, I, I knew, don't want to insult you, but I just didn't want to no. take all that time. I knew what one... <laughs> I knew what one third was, and that's under a half, right? Or is it over? I don't know. Uh, one third is under a half. Yeah. So one half is goes in twice. One third goes in three times. Into a, a cup, like yep. a hole. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Duh. Yeah. I fucking slipped through the cracks so hard, dude. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I was being serious. I had to get my eyes closed. <laughs> Something I found really fucked up with the military court system overall is that plea deals happen pre-trial, just like in civilian court, but the judge is not allowed to review pre-trial plea deals. And at the end of the day, the defendant is always granted the lesser charge. So the judge doesn't know that this guy was offered 20 years for whatever the, the deal is, which I assume is to just plead guilty, okay? He's like, you're a sick fuck. You get 144 years. Mm-hmm. And then that's what they... They announce, but quietly they're like, actually, you only get 20. Yeah. Which might only be seven if you play your cards right. I don't understand because, like, everybody hates child molesters, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, they're the ones that get fucking murdered right away in prison. Yeah. So, why are there always so many cover ups about it? Like, why are. Because why it are... makes the military look bad. I'll get into that. Hang on. I read all this shit about the court martial system, and some of it is like super boring, so I'll spare you on that. But basically, the federal court system is a matter of public record. You can access summaries of pretty much any case, which include the names of the convicted, date of conviction, length of sentence, and a brief description of the crime. So in the military court system, lawyers can't even get access to the motions filed in a general court-martial. Okay. So like public can't get it, lawyers can't get it. It's all basically sealed right away. Charges, courtroom transcripts, and pretrial agreements are only available through FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. The Freedom of Information Act is a law that requires the full or partial disclosure of previously unreleased information and documents controlled by the United States government upon request. FOIA was intended to make government agencies more transparent so that the American public could more easily identify problems in government functioning and put pressure on Congress, agency officials, and the president to address them. You know, like a democracy would function. Yeah, well, okay. that's not really how things work. Yeah. But cute. But cute. But like so many flawed pieces of our system, going through FOIA can be time-consuming and there is no guarantee that the documents will be released at all. Oh, 
and there's fees with each filing appeal, et cetera. Mm -hmm. To give you an idea of how specialized and fucked up that is, most federal cases are available to the public through PACER, the Public Access to Court Electronic Records System. So that means a lawyer can find shit filed. This is in federal cases. Mm -hmm. A lawyer can find shit filed five minutes ago in a civilian court on the internet, but trying to get information on court martial filings takes money and time ranging from months to years to never at all. Jesus, I hate Fuck you, America. The lack of transparency is sus as shit. Like, the whole idea of transparency in the court system is to provide accountability. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't find any information beyond 2015 about DeSmit specifically. But in a disturbing twist, I found that his story is not uncommon in the military. Of course. Out of service members imprisoned, more are there for child sex offenses than any other crime. Are you kidding me? Again, yes. Holy this is shit. a hilarious joke. Oh I, there's God. nothing even on the computer. I'm just like making up some fun <laughs> stuff. It's like improv. Yeah. But for really, really bad jokes. Oh my God. That's insane. I, I did know. not know that. Yeah, me neither. I don't know anything about the military. So reading this stuff, I'm just like... <gasps> You'd think if, like, people in the military that weren't child molesters found out that somebody was, that they would just, like, fucking make their life a living hell. Denial is a powerful drug. Um, I found a few different sources of military prisoner numbers, and it looks like they're exponentially decreasing. I'm, I'm like, an investigative fucking journalist right now. We're going to get fucking murdered, aren't we? Yep. A 2006 report said that there were 1,944 inmates in military prison. In 2007, a report said that there were 1,794. By 2015, it was down to 1,233. And the most recent one I found was 2019 was 1,214. You're saying 1,200, like these are numbers of people for just child molesters? No, this is, this is total numbers in military prison. Oh, okay. So it makes me curious as to why the numbers have dropped so much considering the sketchiness of these pretrial deals and shit like that shit has to go hand in hand right mm -hmm. it has it, it's the only thing that makes sense to me like in 2006 there were almost 2,000 inmates and then 15 years later there are 1,200 inmates mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. given these fucking deals that I don't think any criminals should get these deals I'm not like hey they need to start doling out deals to the everyday child molesters not just these yeah fucking soldier child molesters oh also i found that as of that 2015 report 61 percent of military prisoners were there for sex crimes and more than half of those were against children um we don't know that because the military court system makes efforts to shield the public from it yeah with foia and all that shit yeah a leading critic of the pentagon's treatment of sexual assault senator kirsten gillibrandt she's a democrat from new york she called the ap's findings about the number of child victims alarming and disturbing she said, quote, there are just huge red flags and huge concerns about where justice is not being done. This is just the latest example of DOD's lack of transparency on the issue of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eugene Fidel, a former Coast Guard judge, a former Coast Guard judge advocate who teaches military justice at Yale Law School and is a practicing attorney, had this to say about the state of the current system. Quote, transparency is crucial in democratic societies to ensure the public has confidence in the administration 
administration of justice, regardless of whether it's a civilian or military court. Keeping transparency at a minimum sends a signal that these cases are nobody's business. So in response to the crazy statistics of military inmates in prison for sex crimes against kids, I read that Defense Department officials are now imposing harsher prison terms, but I'm like, okay, well, what about all these fucking deals? Mm -hmm. You know, Air Force Colonel Chuck Killian, director of the Air Force Judiciary, said that since 2008, the Air Force had an 89% conviction rate on child sex crimes. He says, quote, it's not as if there are child sex crimes being swept under the rug somewhere. We simply don't do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe not, but they're definitely buried in an effort to keep them from anyone outside of the military. Writing on a bottom. Yeah. Keeping them accountable. Right. It's like the military doesn't want to be discredited by fucking sickos, but it's, uh, here's a quote from court records into Smith's trial. Quote, no one expects Marines to engage in this type of conduct. It degrades our standards and the public's perception of our service. Our foreign allies would lose respect for our service upon learning that one of our most experienced officers was involved in this type of conduct while deployed on their soil in furtherance of U.S. policy. So that basically says, yeah, we don't want anybody to know this shit because they'll lose respect for the military as a whole, like the U.S. military. So then we're just going to keep shit quiet because how many stories have you read about women being raped and assaulted and like the don't ask, don't tell bullshit that Mm -hmm. got so many LGBTQA people harmed Mm -hmm. in these situations and then they nothing gets done because they don't want that shit on record. Right. So I don't really have a way to wrap this up. Like I tried to look up Eileen Antong and find out where she is. Mm-hmm. No idea. I tried to look up to find out where DeSmit is. Try to find a record of fucking military inmates. Like, please do. Like, let me know. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything. So I guess at the end of this, what I found was that the military wants to say, yeah, we're really, really harsh on these crimes. That's why there's such a high number of like military employed child predators in prison. But it doesn't seem like there's really harsh sentences given when a judge wants to impose 144 years and you're like 20 will do right at the most yeah also you might be able to get paroled right that doesn't leave me feeling confident that this person or that this crime is being looked at as seriously as you're claiming right right yeah totally it doesn't match Mm-mm. well here's the thing that is confusing to me is if everybody hates child molesters so that judge is like hey everybody he's getting 144 years because he's a piece of trash the judge doesn't even know what the pretrial arrangement was though oh he didn't know that it was like 20 judges are not allowed to oh, that's right so see any of that shit this that's why i don't understand why because... why does the military have more power than the judicial system well if if they're trying to make themselves not look bad you'd think that like they would stick with the 144 years yeah because it's like hey see you guys like we take care of the shit but then like actually give the guy 20 years mm-hmm. or less or none or like they're not better at making deals like you guys are supposed to be like the best at making deals like sit down with this dude and his lawyer and all your piles of fucking evidence disturbing fucked up disgusting evidence mm-hmm. and go hey man you don't have a leg to stand on here mm-hmm. so you're gonna say you're guilty and we're not gonna be like you'll be out because when he was on trial he was like in his 40s mm-hmm. so what he's gonna be like a fucking old child molester then when he gets out or like a middle-aged child molester Mm-hmm. Will he even have to register? I didn't even look at that. I didn't even think about that till just now. Yeah. Will he even have to register as a sex offender? None of that was said. And all this shit is sealed. The only reason that this came out is because the Associated Press pushed for it and filed an appeal once it was denied and got this shit. 
like we wouldn't have gotten this this quote that I said at the end about about we don't want foreign allies to lose respect for us and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, I don't feel like I'm uncovering like any in- incredible no. thing that nobody knows, but I just was getting my mind blown over and over. Yeah, reading it, going, this is so fucked up. It's so fucked up. I want to throw in a disclaimer really quick. Like I have friends and family that are in the military and this is so do I fuck them no because there is like like anything else like there's a gray area of decency but it doesn't mean that the system itself isn't fucked up you know what I mean like anything that I have a lot of respect for there are fucked up elements to it and I'm not gonna pretend like things are black and white and like well this system is really perfect and great and awesome like there are flaws to every single functioning system this is just an extremely fucked up terrible flaw that is hurting people right that needs to be addressed now yesterday fucking when the military was invented when jesus was born i don't know yeah. so follow us on all socials at svu pod go to our website svupod.com and rate and review us on apple podcast tell your friends thank god nobody listens to us wherever the military would fucking come and yeah nobody cares nobody cares about anything we have to say <laughs> i know love you bye love you too bye Ticking off all the squares. Yep. Okay, oh, so dick on fire. Bingo. <laughs> oh, we got SVU. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I didn't IMDB this actor, but he's 25 if he's a day. Did you like that I put my belch in the last one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was funny. It grossed me out, but I did it anyway. Why did it gross you out? I don't know, because I'm a disgusting pig monster. <laughs> it was a bad joke. It didn't work, and I'm not going to explain it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs>